0: The theme for the uh, afternoon talk is the three kinds of emptiness. Firstly, just with regard to uh, the general uh, body of the teachings known as the Dharma uh, of of the Buddha, these uh, teachings. Point to an inwardly rich and fulfilled life in which there is a real sense of the expansion and deep ongoing development of the human being. There is in the diversity of life an expansion of the heart, consciousness, a variety. And range of uh, experiences, spiritual uh, as well as uh, secular, and in the exploration, no stone is left unturned. So, there is an endorsement and a real encouragement in life to really investigate, inquire, meditate, and reflect upon all the issues of uh, life, and sometimes that is obviously in the field of the known and sometimes it is an invitation and encouragement to step out of our confined and rather limited world that we think is the world and step from that um, into the unknown, into so to speak uh, other worlds, other worlds of experiences, other worlds of consciousness, other worlds of locations and uh, the whole uh, initiative and all of that is part of a a liberating um, awakening uh, teaching which hopefully is of real and authentic interest to uh, uh, each and every one of us as well as of course many many others near and far afield it is not an easy uh, Process. There are many challenges to our constructions, to our clinging, to our views and holding on to uh, this, that, and the other, as well as all the the problematic states of mind which keep us very uh, limited and living in the spell of all of that. Yet, with the body of teachings, an immense wealth of different uh, practices. Of which we touch a finger of them, if you compare the, a single finger to the whole body, there. But within all the practices and teachings which take place, there is enough for us, like the Buddha said, picking leaves up out of the forest. Uh, in the handful of what we can take up and explore with, it is enough for uh, a profound understanding to find the real wisdom. Uh, in life and live the experience through so that we can put hand on heart and uh, know within uh, to quote the Buddha here um, I have done what needs to be done there is no more becoming, no for this or that done what needs to be done and it's a remarkable uh, inquiry with the past for a moment or two with you and again just to mirror and reflect a little bit with the diversity of what is offered some of you will have heard from time to time in retreats elsewhere with myself uh, uh, with your readings the word emptiness it is one of those uh, words which Generates sometimes some real curiosity and interest. It can generate some confusion. It can sound like a life-negating view uh, about things. And, and all of that can easily feed the misunderstanding. It also can be seen, by some, as an indispensable, unshakable, aspect or feature of the Buddha's uh, Dharma. Actually, it isn't the case. The case is, the actuality is that perhaps in around 10,000 discourses of the Buddha, ranging from a few lines to uh, several pages, which is the, the, the body which, in fact, all the traditions, some way or other, in various ways, relate to, that in this vast body of teachings, the word emptiness I haven't done a precise count I would say probably 20 or 30 or 40 times uh, there. So it is one area and it gained its interest um, um, much later through the Buddhist monk sage Uh, Nagarjuna of the second uh, century this is a quick and short history lesson here, hanging and in the (coughs) second century he took this word uh, emptiness there and he explored the profound depth of its significance and in that exploration it left human beings, if it's understood deeply, enough, not only liberated and free but recognizing the foolishness of holding and clinging to views and opinions, to standpoints, to rigid um, uh, ideas, to uh, dogma, and much, much more. And this (coughs) teaching, which is a kind of commentary on the word uh, emptiness, really resonated with the monks and nuns at at the time, And the outcome of that, it took in the tradition and still continues, reflected today of course, uh, in terms of a deep resonance, what is emptiness? What is meant by this? And that, (coughs) I'd like to, if I may, uh, give a little time to some exploration with you uh, this afternoon. So, perhaps in the kind of... uh, time-honoured way here to actually uh, endeavour to state a little bit what it is not, because I want to clear up, if I can, some misperceptions. What I uh, mean by that is, sometimes people hear the word empty, and out of that comes a kind of negative, unsatisfactory feeling inside. and say, oh, The Buddha or the Buddhist, they say, oh, life is uh, uh, empty, it doesn't really have any purpose or or meaning, I know the experience of feeling empty inside of myself, and uh, what's the point? And life is suffering, and therefore it's uh, it's empty, and so the Buddha thought this was the truth of things, it was the reality of things, and therefore the outcome um, is this... uh, Philosophy or ideology of, uh, of of the emptiness of everything. What's the point? It's yes, the emptiness of everything. There is not a single word, single statement, single construct in the teachings which get anywhere near such a distorted, perverted, corrupted perception of emptiness as meant with the Buddhist teachings. There is not a flavor of that anywhere, and I have a little authority of 50 years of exploring these texts, and have various friends with the Pali who I can write to and say, please tell me word by word what this means. So if we can dispense, gosh, one puts their clothes out on the line, and and the raindrops say, you think life is predictable? (laughs) so in the exploration of these things uh, there in terms of the uh, of uh, emptiness as mentioned to you I'd like to address three uh, 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 areas and perhaps you may see both here and elsewhere um, there may be some importance and relevance uh, uh, for you so the first We quite often, here and elsewhere or two, our mind, with its perceptions and feelings and views and constructs and ideas and images and forms of entertainment and stories and dramas, it can easily build... So the mental world, the world of ideation, the world of mentality and all of that building up, one thing which it does, it of course takes the mindfulness or the awareness off the larger picture. There is a contraction around that state of mind or that story or that experience whatever it may be, past or present, (coughs) and we can invest so much into it and identify, that's the Self, with it so strongly it is looked at, it is experienced as the reality. We really believe what the imagination is telling us. We really believe the interpretation that we are giving to events. And we contract around that. And the indication that we've contracted around that is we find ourselves in a polarity with the other. She or he says something opposite to us. We find it difficult to handle because we have a view we are holding and we've contracted around that story, that picture, that image, the view. This is the way that it is. And that's, of course, the difficulties arise due to the imagination. We can be here, here retreat, Saranath, or uh, here in uh, India. We depart from the uh, here, we depart from the here and now, so to speak, with this ideation, the generating and the manufacturing of all this stuff going on inside of us and we experience that (coughs) or we go home and with the memory and then it might occur to us that all this which was going on inside we get a small and significant insight into it and we ask ourselves what was all that about? All that fantasies about? her, him, myself, this or that. What was all that about? At the time, it seemed real, it seemed true, it seemed to be the way things are, or whatever. And afterwards, we say, gosh, what did I get myself into? What did I get lost into? How come I was so indulgent or so involved in that stuff going on in my mind? And we see it clearly that the belief in the reality drops out. It gains its reality because of the way we viewed it. It drops out. It no longer has that reality. We realise we, it was deceptive. And in realising how we deceived ourselves or deceived another or both, and we see through it, we have just witnessed the emptiness of it. That is emptiness. It is the capacity, one expression of it, it is the capacity in, in life to see the false so well and clearly that the construct of the false or the deceptive, uh, there, Starts losing its grip, and the problematic mind states. Part of the reason that we resist, we don't want to experience such thing, because somewhere in the deep of the being, there is a real sense: this needn't be like this. There's something in the deep says, I don't have to live with this whatever that difficult, troublesome or painful mind state, it can be uprooted, it can be dissolved. There is the potential to see through it, to see the emptiness of it. question is, is there interest? Do we want to go on living in the fabricated way? Do we want to go on justifying our delusions and our illusions and our misperceptions and... Uh, they're back, and uh, and what else may be uh, going on uh, uh, with us? Somebody asked me, "Why why does it go on during the day?" Well, from my observation uh, over the over the years, they they are young guys, young guys, teens and early twenties. And just like some of you, some of us, when we were at that age, we proving <laughs> the point, aren't I? When the, when we were at that age, we went clubbing, and what was clubbing about? We went to festivals, what was festivals about? Big loud speakers pounding it out. The difference between that and out there, we paid it for it, and other pe- people paid with their loss of peace of mind. <laughs> That's the difference. (laughs) Such a phenomenon it it, it, it is. The guys need to have some fun, you know. And and if you're complaining about it, frankly, you're too old. (laughs) So here we are in our relationship to events. Uh, There, as I say, sometimes, as you know make things so big we can't see the emptiness of it you get sick in India it's not very nice you get the shits you know you you get the coughs the colds and, uh, and all the other things that people pick up anywhere else in the world as well and one goes home and then the thought arises Oh, I'm never going back uh, there, uh, there again. It's uh, you get really sick. It's unhealthy. It's t- it's terrible. It's noisy, and I'll never forgive those guys playing those loudspeakers. Uh, they ruined my hearing and my life, and whatever it might be. All this that goes on in the state of mind of people. But then a little bit of passage of time. Not that time cures anything. That's another social fiction. But just in the passage, and in with some reflection, one begins to see around those days that you spend coughing and farting and, and <laughs> complaining in some dust-ridden, mosquito-infected little uh, room in some backwater of Varanasi. Uh, 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 there. And one starts to look, oh, actually, actually... Outside of all of that, wow, what's the, what's the one-liner? Incredible India, that's a, 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 wow. And then, oh, yes, there's more, more to India than my th- nose, throat, upset stomach and shitting. <laughs> wow, it's a great liberation to expand the awareness of life. Okay, so I say, sometimes we build things up we identify strongly with it and it tends to obscure what's outside of it. Even obscures what's going deeply uh, 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 into it. And therefore, when that change comes, when that shift comes for us, uh, we just see the emptiness of one narrow, restricted, small point of view. We can know in this um, seeing the emptiness of the fabrications of the mind uh, here as I mentioned sometimes just by the the contractions which uh, takes place the aspect of that the important aspect of that is that the self, the I and the my with the impact of the old really feeds into this history, our history feeds into it lands on it, it doesn't create it, the self has no power to create anything, but the self with its what's stuck to it, gets involved. Nagarjuna, bless him, he looked into all of this and in the explanation of all of this said to unpack, to... (coughs) Dis- disempower we might say to dissolve to see through whatever said it is not that there are <coughs> it is not that there are multiple conditions there we have to go through all the conditions. Uh, he was bold enough to say that there are only four there are only four conditions which arise which so to speak land on something and solidify it and make a problem out of it. Just four and it makes it even clear. Four not five he says. Just in case you're not very good at counting. Uh, there. Having said that I'm going to try and remember them. Alright sorry about that. Okay so one one of them to look at Oh, is the primary intention the primary intention that can contribute to suffering? One's got to catch that early. The simple. Whatever. What are you doing? Here? Uh, oh, I can give it. I I, I, um, I have a, a bike, a, a push bike, and I was helping my friend in her uh, vegetable uh, allotment. Uh, there, and she asked me if I'd bring some garden shears to cut the grass, this is just outside of Totnes, and I put them in the pannier there, in those bags in the bag. So I'm cycling fairly uh, uh, fast downhill there, and went over a bump, another of the unpredictables, well, not in England, but anyway, um, went over the bump, And the garden shears jumped straight out of the pannier bag, up near, and landed. And, inshallah, the shears, when they landed, hit the ground and turned to the left rather than to the right. If they had turned to the right, they would have gone straight in the wheel, in the spokes, and they would have gone on a very brief, painful flying holiday uh, uh as yeah, I say it in July uh, there one simple condition unmindfully taking things for granted put the shears and the loose in the pannier bag and left them in there <coughs> not imagining boom one bump and they could leap out land on the ground and uh, etc. So sometimes in the condition for suffering we need just to look back is there not to, not using the word cause now is there a primary condition for the arising of this? What is that primary condition? <coughs> and that applies to greed, blame confusion, fears, anxiety Check if there is a primary condition. If there is. Is one going to change this primary condition? If one has learned something, one just takes care, mindfulness, comes to the past, oh gosh, next time I'm riding the bike, I'm not going to put the shears in like that. Maybe I'll just walk the bike home and carry the shears or something else. The garden scissors, that's the reference. Um, a second supportive condition here this applying to suffering with all without exception it does not come out of the blue it's not in uh, the hand of God dispensing punishment what are the other things uh, go on uh, we'll come to that in a moment act of nature, eh? act of nature. Uh, act of nature and a few others exactly So there are causes and conditions, so a human being wishing to understand why this experience is taking place will ask, hopefully herself or himself, what was going on which I did not see clearly enough, which led to this. So one isn't looking for a primary condition, but just looking at some of the conditions which I didn't notice (coughs) or (coughs) I may have noticed but I actually didn't do anything about and the outcome of that, whoa, I'm in the soup, I'm in the difficulty I'm having a hard time because I haven't noticed and if it doesn't change the karma, that means the activity of it in this case will probably in some way or other repeat itself would happen again. It might seem a little different from the way it was before, and it probably would be environmentally, how one feels, but it's the same sequence of it. One thing leading up to the other, something not seen, boom, crash, difficulty. <coughs> right, last two. In the, uh, the third one, uh, uh, which is there, it is actually about the present so sometimes something is happening for you and I going on in the present uh, there we weren't humanly enough very clear about it it affects us in some way seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching uh, there and the present conditions Uh, There or some of them make an impact and the consequence of that we didn't realise that we were rather whatever, vulnerable it was a time of being in a blind spot we were tired we were in a reactive mood it was that particular person or that particular place, whatever and the present conditions are the... uh, influence which has an impact and it then generates a reactivity so this is a a third one and the fourth one in a way maybe so to speak outside of what's known and familiar we can't quite see the conditions and what happens in these kind of circumstances we give it a metaphysical cause Um, we don't know what's going on so we use a word because we haven't been able or unable or unwilling in a way to dive more deeply into it and when that happens we, we frequently use it with each other and we say, oh, it was an act of nature Uh, and it might be appropriate in some situations and sometimes we might say oh, it was an accident there oh, uh, it just happened oh, it was the hand of God oh, it was destiny oh, it was fated it was fate Uh, Oh, it couldn't have been any other way. It had to be like this. So the mindset, not having the capacity and not realizing, we might say, that causes and conditions make things happen there. And because we don't see that or are able to recognize that, then we use what I call the metaphysic a kind of generalised word to whatever make us feel comfortable or better or it was an accident, it was just fate it was her karma, it was his destiny or whatever it might be and this kind of language is used quite a lot in the spiritual world by people who are too lazy to look more deeply that's what I will say to this it's always the inquiry is to look more deeply at things, not just blindly accept that quite often, which we often do the kind of superficial one-liner to make each other feel comfortable. It's just an accident. these things happen. How can you learn from that? Causes and conditions brought this so-called accident uh, uh, about. Let me see what what changes do we need to make, and to be fair, to many of our people in the in the corporate world and in the uh, uh, business world and in the secular world, and uh, much much more really really do take an interest in causes and conditions. I was on a flight from Tel Aviv to uh, Luton Airport in, outside of London sitting next to uh, first officer for um, an airline and while on that flight it was with uh, EasyJet which I sometimes pr- prefer to call not so easy jet and, and I very rarely if I may quickly say here have conversations uh, with anybody on 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 flights, the the, the dreaded question is to me. Oh, I'll say, what's your name, where you're from, what do you do? Oh God, here we go. And so I say, teacher. Oh, teacher, in college, in at a primary school, university. No, no, I'm just just a teacher. Uh, I said, well, what, what do you teach? I say, oh, I'm a meditation teacher. Oh. I'm interested in meditation. Oh no, please. Please, Please, you know. And then I, you know, just find my eye (laughs) shades. Anyway, alright, sorry about you. right. So, conversation started, but it sparked my curiosity. My sister's son is a pilot, my sister's daughter is married to a pilot, airlines are in the family conversation. He said, I said to him, I just said, it's extraordinary the level of safety of flights. It's it's extraordinary. And he said, this plane that we are on, I can't remember what it was, but he said, this plane that we are on, this model of plane that we're on, lands and takes off somewhere in the world every two to three seconds of every day. What that? And he said that, I said, what's the safe, why is, it, why is it so safe, these planes? And he said, we, and the flight deck, as well as all the engineers, are completely trained with our ears to pick up a slight change in the nuance of the engines. The slightest, plus all the equipment and the combination of the listening and the equipment in front of us helps us to see there. And then he said, look, I'll give you uh, a guide, guiding tour of the descent. I found it you know, fascinating there. And he told me, with every little change of note, the height of the plane uh, there, when the signal when the wheels are just beginning to go down, the light which goes on to tell the flight attendant to get uh, ready, and he says we're now 100 metres above uh, the runway, 50, boom. he just knew everything, and he said, he said everything is checked to ensure everybody's safety and the airline's reputation of course there. Last year I read there were 13 million flights in this world and there were 30 accidents. It's a pretty impressive safety record. Why? Because there are hundreds of people who are trained to see the causes and conditions which could bring a problem to that flight. Why on earth Aren't human beings doing it without life? That's my question. Why are we so neglectful when we've got these highly skilled people doing extraordinary things to ensure our safety and doing it would have the same interest as you and I do here? Why aren't our children trained? Why aren't our families and communities all looking at suffering working together to ensure the uh, ending of suffering by looking at the causes and conditions and see what can be changed no training, no practices, no knowledge, no understanding of, of this except in uh, various networks around the world we could be inspired by our flight engineers by these men and women looking after our aircraft and and much, much more. So one is primary intention as a condition. What led up to this, which I didn't see. Secondly, the surrounding environmental factors which contribute uh, there and those things which we don't kind of pick up on but we could look a little bit more deeply into to know uh, uh, n- uh, rather than take just the one-line response to these things. And when an issue, manufacturing of the mind, the mind states, the story, the egotism and all of that is seen through, in Dharma language it's called seeing the emptiness of it, seeing the deceptiveness of it. And the knowing of emptiness, without exception, when it's known, it is also liberating. It's freeing us up from a confusion, and that's genuinely precious. <coughs> oh my goodness! Time is rolling, rolling by. With the second, I don't even remember what the second area. Anyway, with the second one to uh, uh, mention, and this. Uh, Seeing of emptiness—the same, a, a different kind of language. It may, may be supportive and uh, uh, helpful for you with your with your practice. And what I have uh, uh, in mind there is the different forms of clinging, holding, and attachment in the Buddhist sense, not in the different use of psychology. I'll mention that in a moment. And to really recognize where in our life or what we hold on to, what it is about. And that holding on to might include an image or a picture or a story in some way or other about ourselves. And we really can hold on to that. There could be the repetition of the holding. I don't like myself. I am not good enough. My life is not going as I planned and I thought when I was uh, young. I feel weighed down by the circumstances. I'm really suffering over the separation or the loss there. I was really given a hard time in my childhood and much, much more. So they are, the self, vulnerable to those kinds of uh, influences very easily that the self gives itself, so to speak, the idea this is who I am. The weight of that will contribute to feeling unhappy, more weight, quite depressed, very depressed, clinically depressed. The medication, and that sense of weighing down is obviously a contraction. It is not even de- not deliberately, but a holding on to a view, and the holding on, the identification, the grasping of the view solidifies the view. The grasping gives it substance. We can't see the emptiness of it because the self has gained enough substance through what it's infected with or what's wrapped around it that we really believe, honestly believe, this is who I am. This is what I am like. And it's not an easy nut to crack for sure it's not an easy one and sometimes we do need the wise the good counsel of the other to help move uh, uh, through th- through that <coughs> the teachings main <coughs> in the movement <coughs> independent arising <coughs> there's some contact the contact with myself it generates an unpleasant feeling. The unpleasant feeling triggers, independent arising, a wanting. Maybe a wanting for it to be different. The wanting for it different contributes and feeds into a holding. And the self is the thread that runs through it. And these teachings and practices are to really give as much awareness and practice uh, and exploration as possible to really learn, remember and reflect on this sequence. There is contact. It could be with the past, it could be with the present, it could be with the future. There is a feeling emerging out of that contact, out of that impression or contact. The feeling easily gives rise to some kind of wanting, whatever it might be, wanting it to be different, Um, whatever, wanting something to exist, wanting something not to exist, and that wanting generates the pressure which contributes to more holding, clinging and identification with can we have in just enough mindfulness and awareness to really recognise this is a sequence which is taking place? I'm not creating it. I, uh, I'm not the manufacturer in that respect uh, of it. It's a process which has I, self running through uh, it And it's in the impression, it's in the feeling, it's in the desire, the wanting, and it's in the holding and the identification with. Can we have enough awareness to really be clear? This is what's going on. And see, what is another way to look at this sequence which makes one's life so difficult? And you would be very hard pressed in life to think of any unhappiness in life at any level which does not have in it some impression, some contact, some wanting, some desire and some identity. Just take any of that out and it's going to collapse. Just reduce it. It will reduce the suffering. So our... Mindfulness and awareness and practice and sharing uh, together is in order to shed light on this process, so that it doesn't have the grip over our life. And when we start to really see the uh, see through it, as with the first example, when we begin to see through it, we really start to see the emptiness of it. My gosh, it it is it is an impression in internal unhappiness it is the way i feel about it it is a holding on to it is a grasping and an identity and an identification there is some wanting somewhere going on And just the recognition of that uh, movement uh, there and the willingness to work with it can genuinely take a lot of anguish and difficulty out of life. And it's equally important as well to recognize, recognize, and I mean that recognize here, numerous moments where in the inner life that sequence isn't working. It's not all the time. It's not in every occasion. And sometimes the experience which is taking place of a quiet contentment, the sense of being alive, the the nature, the friendships, the love, the kindnesses, the silences, the, the nourishing food and countless other things really give us some, some, real, some real support. So though there is a contact there, yes, though there is a feeling there, it's not leading onwards <laughs> to some difficulty, some anguish or frustration. Can I catch the moment in the meditations where an impression is there? Can I see, ah, oh, this is an impression? This is an impression I have of this retreat. This, is an, this impression is generating a feeling. This feeling may be generating some kind of uh, wanting. Maybe holding on to something somewhere or whatever. Or can I just have, this is the impression. And even just saying the word impression, it kind of gives the sense uh, this is an impression of this group of people. This is the impression of being here. It kind of gives a sense. Uh, this is an impression. There could be another one. It's not. Oh, looking out. Oh, this is what it's like. It's a bunch of zombies walking around in meditation. There. Oh, this is what it what it's, what it's like. It's the worst food I, I ever had since I went to McDonald's <laughs> or, or whatever it's just an impression and to see limiter the word to see an impression as an impression gives it some space it's not giving it substance uh, yesterday with uh, the Chinese participant here um, lots of questions um, out of the text and we were touching upon this area of Nimita uh, of uh, of impressions or signs or signals or whatever and it can be sometimes the sense that we pick up sometimes it genuinely is quite insightful and accurate we have what we call an intuition about, it could be. One person quite common as well uh, the dream world, which of course has multiple impressions in it uh, there. And in the field of the dynamic of the dreams, which sometimes are extraordinarily strong and colourful and vivid and dramatic, uh, which go on for the meditator uh, there, that in the emergence of all of that, and the presentation of the dream, there is a relationship called the witness who is called the dreamer who has the dream and that's the bare duality there's the dreamer who is the witness of the dream and we wake up and say oh, I had this dream and one might remember the, uh, the dream there but the event of the dream is the, la- is the expression of the inner life and multiple nuances there Personally, it's it's a view. I don't actually believe that all dreams are confined and contracted by the condition of our inner life. I actually don't think that. That, I think, at least for myself, others may have a different view, that it's worthwhile to be open to the extraordinary subtlety of the vibrations and things which are going on which also may be having a part to play in the dream life not just, oh it's my unconscious coming up in the night maybe but actually uh, it's much more kind of saying it as a fact as a view It is I regard it as much more than just this so-called unconscious uh, arising. More importantly though is it can be without going into a lot of analysis in the image in the story and the pictures which are going on it can provide because it's an aspect of oneself an insight which is extraordinarily helpful extraordinarily helpful And we know the confirmation of the dream world even though it's got no substance uh, to it there that the insight can be the revelation which then finds itself applied into the daily life. Never to underestimate the power of what can move through us which may not happen in the day and we might ask ourselves not intellectually not rationally, what is this dream stating? And wait, what is it saying? What is the message of the dream? And if the dream repeats itself, then really worthwhile asking the question, what is this showing? And sometimes our dream world, as Carl Jung and others, really can be a repository of uh, much insight so even though it's dreaming there's no, as it were substance less nevertheless from it can come much insight so one the stories, the pictures, the images the daydreams, the memories the speculations about the future sometimes things go on in life and think, gosh such a story I made up and one sees the emptiness of it. The emptiness is liberating. The second, this contact-feeling world, we get caught up in that, we identify so much with that, with all the holding that goes on with it, and then sometimes we see that, and it just kind of falls apart. We reflect, as I mentioned earlier to you, we reflect on primary intentions that might be there, no intentions might be there, Um, various causes and conditions coming together, the environmental one coming together, and more besides. We take a real interest in this, as close an interest as our beloved aircraft engineers and others. Then the third and final The third and final uh, uh, area uh, with regard to this is in the field of experience. And what I uh, mean mean by that is sometimes, as some of you have uh, reported here and previous times, there can be a genuine expansion and opening up which is taking place. And in the expansion and opening up which is taking place, the world of things and materials get have less impact. It goes, as it were, quietly to, to rest. There. So there is a choiceless, we might say, expansive or open or receptive uh, awareness <coughs> which at the time is not being kind of affected. It doesn't have a foothold on us. So the sights and sounds are just easily moving through. We're not grabbing or grasping onto uh, uh, anyone of them in this experience. We're just receptive, open and expansive. And the person could, if they wish, describe this, ah, I was abiding this and in that I felt very um, spacious and open inside, in the being, the consciousness was open and I really felt I was abiding in emptiness because nothing was bothering me. Thought would arose, it would come and pass sights and sounds, all the Things, quote unquote, of the world, does not bothering me. I must be abiding in emptiness uh, there. Nearly, but not quite. And what I uh, need to say there is that, not so easy this, it is to see and understand the emptiness of an expansive, calm, clear open, receptive state of mind even to see the emptiness of that so rather than though we abide there the material world is very quiet and extremely precious but if the thought aright, well, thought may well arise of course oh wow this is extraordinary so expensive. expansive ah, now I understand what the Buddha meant by emptiness because nothing is bothering me it's empty and I'm just being receptive if I quietly stay with that and I draw a conclusion a view oh, this is it now I've got it now I've got it It is not it. If we make an it out of it, it becomes something. If it becomes something, the only thing it will become is a problem. (laughs) Because one's held on to it. One has got caught in the process. Oh, I had this incredible contact with its expansiveness, with this extraordinary feeling uh, there. And now, guess what? I want it back. This it, which is not it, because emptiness cannot be an it. But the identification with the it, which is not it, (laughs) the identification with it, makes it an it and before the it is S-H (laughs) you've got it shit (laughs) caught again and back into that sequence impression feeling lovely feeling, wonderful feeling I've got it, wonderful feeling I want it The wanting is the proof of holding on to it. Holding on to it is the proof that the self has identified with it. We are masters of clinging. (laughs) So while really recognising and appreciating the wide range of experiences there, and human beings have no limit because we're kind of infinite creatures there to know and experience a huge wide range of of, uh, experiences and insights and reflections there is no limit to our potential for uh, all of this and to quote the Buddha we just need enough mindfulness not to cling that's all and those who know deeply the beauty of non-clinging know what liberation is. And we can move respectfully, sensitively, wisely, through life because we have, so we say, woke up to a life free from clinging and a life free from uh, clinging is exactly the same meaning as seeing the emptiness of clinging. And that still brings out of us our love for our kids and our grandkids, our responsibilities our care for others and for our community and our cultures and our society and other cultures and society it brings the best out of us because we are free and we are free and why are we free? Because we're not clinging. Thanks for lending an ear. Let's have the quiet moment together shall we? May all beings understand the significance of emptiness May all beings know the heart's liberation May all beings abide with wisdom Thank you each and everyone